thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. Uh, You may not know this, but there are people in our world who open a book and commit what I think is the most heinous of crimes. After reading the first chapter or just the first few pages, these terrible people flick to the back of the book and read the last page. They read the ending before they've even begun, before the plot is properly laid out, before they get into the meat of the story or learn who the characters are, They read how the story ends. Now, I can see that some of you are moving uncomfortably in your seats this morning, so some of you are among us. People like this, and I'm looking at you suspiciously, those of you who are shifting, they tell me that the reason they do this is so that they can relax as they read the book, knowing how the story comes to an end. It doesn't matter whether it's a joyous resolution or not, they need to know before they can relax into the story. Well, today we are looking at the beginning and the ending of this book, at Peter's little letter. This is a letter that he is writing to a hurting church. He's writing to brothers and sisters in Christ who are scattered across what we would call modern-day Turkey to give them hope in a hostile world. We're going to begin this letter by reading its beginning and its ending, which Glenda's just brought before us, to understand why it is that Peter is writing. We're flicking the pages to the very end so that we can see the continuity in this letter and understand why he sets it out the way he does and what the major themes are that we're going to encounter throughout because he outlines so clearly in just these few verses what the three big movements or sections of this book are. He opens and closes this letter by calling faithful followers of Jesus to remember who you are. Remember that you are chosen by God. And remember that you are exiles in a hostile land. He wants to emphasise for these people, for Christians everywhere, that in all of the difficulties of living in a hostile culture, among a people who think they are completely out of step with the values of the world, these Christians, all Christians, are God's elect. They are special people who belong to him. We know where we're going, why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word to us. We thank you that you speak to us by it, and we pray this morning that as we start this journey through Peter's little letter, you would help us, Lord, to see how we can stand firm in a hostile world. Would you please help us to hear your word by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, out there, there are a myriad of stories, maybe movies, short stories, novels, which explore the idea of the main character having amnesia, Uh, maybe whether from a traumatic injury or PTSD on a battlefield, a knock to the head in an accident. We love stories of amnesia. There's something about them that captures our imagination as the person tries to piece together their life and who they are. Well, Peter's writing here to tackle a kind of spiritual amnesia. He's writing to remind Christians living in a traumatic environment who they really are. They are, he insists in verse 1, chosen by God. He addresses them as God's elect. 
They're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, verse 2 tells us. And they're chosen like this along with other Christians, which he highlights again for them in chapter 5, verse 13. He's talking there about the church when he talks about she, the one who's in Babylon. Peter's not alone in that opinion. Paul says the same thing in Romans 8, Ephesians 1, Romans 11, just a few places where you might look to see this idea of God's people being chosen, Christians being chosen. That idea of being chosen as God's people is reminiscent of somewhere else though, isn't it? It's reminiscent of the nation of Israel. How many times do we read in the Old Testament of them being special to God, of being dear to his heart, of being set apart for a special calling and purpose, called out of nowhere to be his people? The Old Testament is full of that understanding, starting with Abraham, who God calls out to go to a place that he doesn't yet know and who will receive the covenant promises. The Old Testament is full of that understanding of God choosing a special people for himself. God took his chosen people, you remember, the people of Israel, who he made those covenant promises to through their forefather Abraham, and he led them out of slavery in Egypt. They'd been there for 400 years, and then God came and rescued his chosen special people. Do you remember the cost to that? There was a cost. They had to be obedient to the word of God given through Moses and to go and to take a lamb and to sacrifice a perfect lamb and then to take its blood and to sprinkle it on the doorposts and the lintel of their homes. If they did that, they would avoid certain death when God came and judged Egypt. Here were God's special chosen people being set apart again by the sprinkling of blood. Through events that Peter had seen with his very own eyes. Peter, the one who denied and then followed Jesus again. Peter, who would be the rock that Jesus would build his church on. Peter, who had been so close and called by him, had seen events that we just remembered last week at Easter time. Jesus had made a way for a whole new chosen people through the sprinkling of his own blood on the cross so that we might avoid certain death. Jesus had been at work on the cross, making a new chosen people for his heavenly Father. God has chosen people who believe in Jesus, Christians, to be his special people during this time. It is a monumental shift in human history. As God starts to work more broadly through Gentiles, not just through the nation of Israel. These believers who had come most likely from Gentile backgrounds and were scattered now to the far reaches of the Roman Empire, stand in a privileged relationship with God. Now, theologically, the doctrine of predestination, of being elect or chosen by God, is important. We generally debate about two major viewpoints. One is Calvinism, the other is Arminianism, and how much free will we can really exercise in this world. Thankfully, Peter isn't taking us down that rabbit hole, so I don't have to crack that open with you this morning. He is trying to encourage them in chapter 5, verse 12, though. He is encouraging them as he testifies to the truth of grace. They have been God's chosen people. They have been set apart. They are sanctified. And that is a tremendous privilege. They might not matter very much to Nero, the emperor of Rome, who has made a terrible enemy of Jesus' people. 
but they matter to someone else. Nero doesn't want them in his empire. Now, this is probably not at the peak of the persecution against Christians. We think Peter's writing sometime between about 60 and 64 AD. It's unlikely that Nero is really at the absolute peak of his hatred for Christians. But life has got very tough for these believers. Nero has made an enemy of them, but they matter to a greater ruler. They matter to a more powerful emperor. They have been chosen by God, the creator of the whole universe. They are special. The true king, who one day every single person on the earth will come and bow before and acknowledge as the Lord of all before all time, has chosen them and loves them and has said that they are special. Can you see what a tremendous encouragement that would have been to the original recipients of this letter? Nobody wants them. Nobody wants to be around them. The Emperor Nero sitting on his throne in Rome doesn't want them in his empire. He wants them out. He is actively working at removing them from his rule. It's why they've fled their homes and they've become a kind of new diaspora. For Christian people, whether they are free or slaves, whether they are male or female, whether they are rich or poor, they have another marker which sets them below their peers in every single situation. They bear the mark of the cross. They bear the name of Christian. They are less than the rest of the empire because of Jesus, and they know it. But not in God's eyes. According to his foreknowledge, before they were even born, he has picked out each and every one by his grace alone and predestined them for the very salvation which is costing them so dearly. Imagine how much of an encouragement that was when they felt lonely in their world. Peter is setting the scene for where he is going to lead them in the first section of this book. He's reminding them that Christians are God's elect. They are special people who belong to him. And they have glorious privileges to look forward to as a result. Peter is going to explain that as he unpacks it and tells them in depth in that first major section of his letter in chapter 1, verses 3 to 2.10. They are God's elect. And they have a glorious future because they have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Despite that, Peter doesn't bury his head in the sand. He doesn't pretend that life is hunky-dory for Christians because they're a chosen people. They are like Israel in that they are chosen, and they are like Israel in that they are exiles. These Christians haven't been gathered up and carted off to a foreign land like Israel and Judah were in the exile to Babylon, but Peter wants Christians to regard themselves like the Old Testament Jews in Babylon because they're living in a hostile environment. He makes that clear when he talks about the church. The church is the she in chapter 5, verse 13, the one who sends the greetings. The church in Rome, which he describes as Babylon. The very heart of the Roman Empire is the very heart of their oppression and suffering. I think we can understand that analogy, can't we? When we think of the pagan culture that Daniel and his countrymen were subjected to, if you've read that book in the Old Testament... Think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who are thrown into the fiery furnace because they refuse to bow down for someone and call them God. They will only bow before the Lord God in heaven. They will not swear loyalty to any but God. Nero 
used Christians as human candles to light up his garden parties because of their loyalty to the same God in Jesus. Many of these faithful followers of Jesus have left their homelands because of the mounting pressure against them. They've packed up their things, they've left the cultured centres of the Roman Empire, and now they're having to scratch out a living in frontier towns, barely civilised in Roman thought. Because of the mounting hostility towards them, they have had to give up friends and family and lifestyle and culture and language. They've had to give up living in the equivalents of London and New York and Paris and Sydney to make new lives in places like Gore and Taumaranui and Taihapi and Westport. It's not an appealing thought, is it? They have left behind homes and culture and status and jobs. They've been impacted financially. They are out of step with the world around them. They are out of step with the thoughts and the priorities and the passions of the world around them. Obedience to Jesus has come at a huge cost for the people that Peter is writing to. They are exiles. And we know how they feel, don't we? There are times where we really feel like exiles, aren't there? Where we believe that we are insignificant and powerless and unwanted by the world around us because of our faith, because of who we are, because we have identity in Christ. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. In a workplace where a prominent Christian is getting a hard time, and that's the topic of conversation at Smoke, oh boy, we feel small. Or at a barbecue with friends where they're joking in a crass way and then they point to you. Man, that makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Or when your child or your grandchild has a schoolmate over and they've blurted out something negative about Christians that they've heard repeated in their own homes. Even that can make you feel pretty low. Or when you're the butt of a joke about God botherers or Jesus followers at a family gathering. It makes us shrink in, doesn't it? That's our real experience. I can remember feeling like an exile on the first big army exercise I went on. Uh, There were over a thousand soldiers involved in this exercise that was in the North Island, uh, and half a dozen chaplains were working in terms of teams of three on this exercise. Uh, And one day the other chaplain that I was working with, he came and saw me, and he said that he was going to be moving me from the active exercise to another group called XCON, Exercise Control, so that I could spend a week there and understand how an exercise is run from the inside by a headquarters. Uh, Now, XCON's actually a pretty sweet gig. You get to move out of the field into actual buildings and sleep in real beds. And for us at that time, that would have been a real bonus because the place where we were living, we discovered after about a week of being there, was actually an abandoned rubbish tip. Uh, It was now a field and a farm, but as they took a JVC, which is a big digging machine, to dig fighting pits for us, the machines started getting snared up in uh, glass and corrugated iron and wire to the point where they said we couldn't actually use them. It was too unsafe. So when the enemy attacked, we had to just lie on the ground and getting into, instead of getting into fighting pits. It was a bit of an odd situation. But I wasn't sad to leave that place behind because it was awful and it stunk. So you get to go into XCON, into actual buildings. There's hot food available. There are showers there. There are vehicles. You're outside of the exercise. So you're monitoring and making sure all of the other moving parts are doing what they should. On the second day, the commander of XCON, who was a lieutenant colonel, came and he spoke to me. 
So I'd been there about 24 hours, hadn't said anything at this point. And he came and he said, I can remember it so clearly, what are you doing here, Padre? We don't need you here. I have no idea why you're even here. And then he walked off and left. He wasn't thrilled that I was around. When that senior officer spoke to me that way, I reckon I felt about this tall. It was like I was standing in a field all on my own and everybody else had walked away. It was a lonely place to be. As far as the boss was concerned, as a chaplain, I had no place in XCOM. I didn't fit. I wasn't wanted. I wasn't of any use. I should be somewhere else. Man, that felt lonely. I felt like an exile. Have you been there? Well, later on that night, I did one of the only few useful things I could do. I took a period on radio watch, which is where you sit and listen to the radio and monitor what's happening in the exercise because it doesn't stop when all of the ex-con people go to bed. So a couple of you have to stay up and make sure that things are still happening as they should. And I sat on radio watch and about one o'clock in the morning, a sergeant who had lost five of his mates in Afghanistan opened up and shared about it for the very first time. He hadn't spoken to anybody else about it. We don't have to feel insignificant, friends, when we feel like exiles. We don't have to despair when we feel lonely and we know that other people don't want us around. We are not insignificant, even though we are exiles. We are chosen. We are special. We are being used by God for his purposes and his glory. We might feel uncomfortable in this world. We might be exiles. We might be unwanted by earthly rulers and leaders. But God is using his people to witness to him as they quietly get on with their lives, living in obedience to Jesus, which was the very reason we are told we were sanctified by the Holy Spirit in the first place. Look at verse 2. By telling these Gentile believers to see themselves as exiles, Peter wants to help them recognise who they are in relation to their world and their surrounding culture, which he digs deeper and deeper into in the second section of this letter. In the second section of this letter, Christians are living as exiles away from their heavenly home. Chapter two, verse eleven through four, verse eleven. That is where he's going to take them next. By calling Christians to make a stand against the prevailing culture at a very real risk of persecution, not just minor discomfort or the embarrassment we might feel. Peter helps us to see the tension that we face as God's elect people living as exiles now. Like those early Christians who had to eke out their lives at the very margins of the empire. Like those early Christians whose deepest loyalties and inclinations ran contrary to what mattered most in the world in which they live, we find ourselves living uncomfortably between two worlds, don't we? We find ourselves attracting suffering because we are Jesus' people. It's the third major theme that Peter is going to tackle in the third section of this letter. Christians suffer. Christ suffered. Chapter 4, verses 12 through chapter 5, verse 11. When we are suffering, when we are feeling squashed by the world around us, when we are lonely, we are tempted like the exiles in Babylon were tempted to assimilate with the culture around us, to bow down to the things that this world worships to make life easier. We are tempted to let go of our distinctive and to look the same as everyone else around us. 
We are tempted to take on the values and the thoughts and the speech of the lifestyle around us. And when that happens, our Christian witness is impotent. We hold out to people a cheap grace, a counterfeit grace, a grace that says there is no change required in the people of God. He will accept you as you are and leave you as you are. Tomorrow, Anglicans, representing around 80% of our churches, will gather together in Rwanda for GAFCON 4. They are going to gather to encourage one another to stand firm in the face of opposition. They are going to be standing together, acknowledging that there are provinces in our church which are giving in to the temptation to assimilate, to set aside the Christian distinctives so clearly outlined for us in the word of God and to take on the culture of the world instead. Church, I would encourage you to pray for those who gather. There will be around 2,000 people meeting together to encourage one another to stand firm and hold fast to the message of grace that we have received in Scripture. I'd encourage you to follow online. Google GAFCON 4. There are parts of that that are being live streamed. It will be an encouraging and uplifting time. As they gather, we know that we are tempted to do what our church, our wider church has done, to assimilate, to give in, to stop standing for Christian distinctives. Each one of us will find ourselves at times choosing not to offend, choosing not to upset Choosing not to put our necks out when we are in situations where we could stand firm and live Jesus' way in a hostile environment. There are other times where we will take on the priorities of this world instead of seeking the things of Jesus. We will seek the things that our friends and our neighbours seek. We will look for satisfaction and success here and now instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus. There are times as well where we're going to forget that we are exiles and we're going to make ourselves at home. We're going to make ourselves too comfortable in this world. We will chase the same things that everybody else chases. When you are tempted, hear Peter's call. He calls Christians to stand firm in chapter 5 right at the end. Don't shrink back. Hold on to the message of grace. True grace. Hold fast to the fact that you have been chosen by God. You are not alone. You have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit, set apart to be different so that you can be obedient to Jesus who has sprinkled you with his blood. Hearing Peter call out to the exile, the elect exile, make your stand on this grace, gives us what we need, friends. That gives us what we need, whether we are feeling alone and crushed by this world or whether we have been sucked in and have fallen in love with this world. In both cases, if we come back to the true word of God, we will stand firm on his grace, which is revealed to us there. I hope you're excited about this book and where it's going to take us. Peter has set up for us a wonderful adventure through this letter that we're going to take together. This morning we've looked at his insistence that we are elect, we are chosen, we are sanctified, and he's encouraged us to remember who we are and to stand firm, holding fast to the true grace of God in obedience to Jesus, even when the pressure comes on and we suffer for it. We are scattered, we are harassed, 
We are exiles. We are foreigners living in a strange land waiting to go to our heavenly home. This world is not our home, our home is in heaven. But Peter wants Christians everywhere to remember who they are and what they have received so that they might stand fast as we live as exiles, special people who belong to God. Let's pray that we will. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sanctified us by your Spirit. We thank you that you have sprinkled us with the blood of Jesus so that we might be obedient to him. Would you please help us to endure? In a world where your people are harassed, where we often feel like lonely exiles, would you remind us of who we are in your eyes? A special people chosen by your grace. Help us to hold fast to the truth of that grace and write salvation on our hearts so that we can endure the suffering set before us, not falling away or shrinking back, but trusting in you. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Music